I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today we talk with Deborah Kaiser. She's a daughter with a personal story about her mother who championed the medical aid and dying movement. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. So I just want to say, hey, how are you? (laughs) I'm fine, thank you. This is a little bit different for us because you just kind of walked down the street and plopped into the little cave that we record in, and I really do appreciate your time today. Well, I am glad to be here and hopefully I can help. Well, it's all about stories. And when we were at a Christmas party this in 2016, we were just having a chat and I was telling you what I was doing. And you're like, oh my gosh, my mom was you know, one of the major people in Oregon helping uh, push the the movement of medical aid and dying. And so I, I want to start off to kind of give our listeners a little bit of preview of what your mother was like. And she always talked about not wanting to be a burden for your family. Uh, well, when she grew up, her grandparents lived with them. And she watched them mentally and physically deteriorate and the toll it took on her mother. And it was very difficult. And she It seemed like it was embedded in me that, and all of us, that she did not want to be a burden to us. She happened to go into gerontology as a field. She did it when it was not a field that was out there. Um, And she did it at a very late age. At 45, she got her master's in social work. And at 50, she finished the coursework for a PhD from Cornell. And it was in public administration with a focus on gerontology. So she was kind of a pioneer in her field. And she really believed in the whole long-term care choice. She didn't want to be a burden to us. She wanted to have know that there were options out there for the uh, those that needed it for long-term care. So whether you're older or whether you have a physical or mental illness that required long-term care. She wanted to know that there were options that were good, healthy, and serviced the individuals. So your mom was a pioneer. What years was she doing all of this? So it would have been before the 80s that she was finishing her PhD. She went off to Cornell in 75 and finished a couple of years later, I guess. And being a woman, yep. that that was that was a huge thing, the, like the woman's movement almost. It was, it was quite amazing. She was definitely someone to admire and look, too, as something you can do no matter what age you are. So you grew up in Oregon. Mm -hmm. You had a sister and a brother. And so you all kind of were very much aware what your mom wanted at her end of life, didn't want to be a burden. But how did she get involved with the medical aid in dying? Her involvement was actually uh, because of her gerontology work. So work groups that she was part of because of her experience and uh, training, I guess you would say, in that field. So she had a lot of just background. And when the legislation of the death with dying uh, went through, she helped with the process for it. So you make sure that it's a choice that's made, it's not forced on them, that someone's not doing it just because they're depressed. There's a lot of, um, well, people might say roadblocks, but actually, you know, it's just to ensure that it's, it is a choice and not something that's just done. 
So there are guidelines. I mean, yes. there are guidelines, criteria for mm-hmm. individuals who make this choice. And she was a part of putting that all in place. Yes, to just make sure it is what it was intended by the law. Do you recall as a young child experiencing her talking about some of this stuff? No, not at all. It was more, it was just that end of life and long-term care concepts is what we, that she talked about. It really was just, I don't want to be a burden on anyone. So she went through her career. She helped, you know, make medical aid and dying uh, a choice for people in Oregon, which was Oregon was the first state, correct? That I know of, yes. And, um, but then she retired and she, you, you were telling me stories about how she went back from Oregon into Mexico. Tell me a little bit about, she was a traveler. Yes. So one of her things she did, she retired at age 70. She actually was living in Texas at the time. Um, I was a professor there at the medical complex is what I like to call it. But um, so she was quite involved with the gerontology community there. And when she moved back to Oregon, well, one of the big problems with Oregon is a lot of gray skies, (laughs) a lot of days that are gray. So she felt she needed sun and she always loved going to Mexico. We used to go to Mexico as as children for uh, Christmas. So she would go down there every winter, spend anywhere from two to six months depending on if she had something going on or, in some cases, just doctor's appointments or whatever it was that may have come up. Um, So she would go down there. She loved it. She said she felt like she was going home when she was down there. And it was part of a a community of individuals doing something similar. Yeah, she built up a community of expatriates, mostly Canadians, um, but some from, uh, from the States. And she built up this community. She played bridge. There had this group that would play bridge every, I think it was Tuesday and Thursdays and sometimes on Fridays. And there was this big open space where you had a view of the ocean. Another place they played bridge was on this little island. That, you know, I mean, it was it just was perfect. There's arts down there, a lot of art paintings and things like that, but also um, performing arts. So she got to enjoy some of those things, but it's a very small place. So she was doable. She could walk around. She had asthma, so it was not not easy for her to walk many places. So she retired at 70. She was getting older. Tell me some of the chronic conditions that she was facing as she aged. I'm really bad at remembering all the things, but there was something with the heart, which ended up being congestive heart failure. Uh, that was what she used as her terminal illness, which you need to have before you can even uh, get the Uh, in the life uh, prescription. Uh, She also had asthma. So a lot of different things. Yeah. And a couple of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know them all. Oh, that's right. (laughs) It seems like she had tons of drugs she was taking for all of them. (laughs) So she would go back and forth to Mexico enjoying life. When did she decide that moving back to Oregon would be right for her? Uh, She always knew she was going to move, retired back to Oregon. She had two of her six children uh, were in Oregon at the time. Uh, she had several grandchildren there. It was just a place she knew. Texas just really didn't suit her m- mentally. You know, it just was not on the same wavelength as she is. Um, it's just history is probably a, the best way to describe it. It was what she felt comfortable with. And so she's back in Oregon and she's starting to talk about some failing health. So the first thing she did is she just moved. She bought a house that she knew she could have someone live in it to assist well, then she got lonely. She liked hanging out with people. So she moved into a retirement community. And for us, that was fabulous because, you know, she used to call us and say, I'm bored. <laughs> well, I'm 
many states away. Right. I couldn't just pop over. Now, did she continue going back and forth to Mexico for into her 80s? Yes. That was actually the final reason for her to follow through was her final trip down there. She Her birthday's Christmas Day. She always went over the winter. So she had turned 88 and she was really sick most of the time she was down there. And it it impeded her quality of life. And that was what was important to her, her quality of life, not quantity. So when she said, when she cut her trip short by over a month, a month and a half, we knew, we knew that was it. And so she returned to Oregon and, and started the process. And that was a lengthy process. I mean, she already had some of it done. She had the diagnosis of terminal illness and the other thing she had done, I mean, a requirement is that you're not depressed. Well, she had had DNR tattooed on her chest six months earlier. Really? Yeah. You know, you, people. I hear people say they're going to do that, but I never hear, and your mother was 88 years old having a tattoo of DNR on her. Yeah, technically she was 87 at the time, but yes, <laughs> she was so proud of herself <laughs> because I have a tattoo. I'm the only one in the family that has one, and she was like a little girl. Oh, I just got a tattoo. <laughs> and it had DNR. Yeah. It was right on her chest. And in fact, when uh, part of the thing is you have to have a psychological exam. Before the medical aid and dying. Before the medical aid and dying, before you can get your prescription. And, you know, she was talking about it and she was saying, you know, that was one of the things she told him is that, yeah, this is what I've always planned on doing. And I even had DNR put on my chest. And he said, really? She says, yeah, you want to see it? And he said, sure. She lifted up her blouse. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she just, you know, I mean, she was full of life, but she was like not the life she wanted at that time. She was also sleeping quite a bit. Some days up to 20 hours because it was just... That congestive heart failure. Everything, you know. the the fact that when she was ill, she was ill when she returned from Mexico and just recovering from that. So it was was hard for her uh, in that sense. She just, she kept saying, I just want to go. I just want to go. How did that make you feel as a daughter to hear your mom say something like that? Well, by that time, we were kind of used to her ways (laughs) right okay and um we were not surprised we actually knew that's the way she was going to be i don't know how you uh, how i know other than that that's what we grew up with i don't want to be a burden but it just seemed like her Mm. i would have been surprised if she had done anything else she also has dementia runs in the family and her dementia was getting worse um in fact a few days before she had finished all the doctor visits and stuff but then before we could get the prescription there's this other part she wasn't really with us mentally and that was hard we had to make a decision were you afraid that she was not going to be able to to do we were very afraid but we went forward anyway because we knew that if that that you would have times of lucidity and she would have been pissed at us (laughs) if we hadn't followed through so we so did. really it was more about, you know, you honoring your mother's wishes. Exactly. So it took the burden off you. Oh, it definitely. She did something interesting. I mean, the, the uh, day the prescription, oh, the day the prescription was going to go through and we were, we'd be able to pick it up the next morning. So it was afternoon of the day before. She was with us like that. I mean, it was amazing. All of a sudden she was like, so what's the status? She sat us all down, and she went around to each one of us and asked us if we were okay with her decision. Oh, wow. 
it was it was an emotional thing in the sense of I'm telling my mom that it's okay for her to die. And that's a strange feeling, but that's what she wanted. And that's what I explained to her. I said, you know, you weren't with us for several days. And I, that's not what you want. That's not what you've told us you've wanted. So, so you were with your mom. Yes. Her, her, her daughters were all with her. She has six kids. Five of them are daughters. And uh, we were all there. And it was an amazing experience. experience. Yeah. So she also talked a little bit about, hey, what do you guys want? I mean, didn't she go talk to you guys a little bit about, hey, do you want this picture? Or <laughs> She went through this whole process, too, of really. Yes. Yeah. Well, we had, because we were all there, we took pictures of everything and just sort of chose between around the, the daughters what we would, what we wanted uh, so, you know, there, if there were any conflicts, we took care of it then and there. The day um, that we were, that we picked up the prescription, so her last day, um, she asked us. She asked one of my sisters, so who's getting what? <laughs> and my sister went around her little apartment and showed her and told her. And she was really, she liked that. Yeah. But she also participated in writing her obituary. Right. And helping us with that and told us what she wanted us to do, uh, at least the first part. So she was still a pioneer because what year was this? Uh, This would have been uh, 2015, January 2015. So just, wow, not so long ago. So she was in a retirement community by that time. And she was basically one of the first people to do it there openly. She thinks, she kept telling us, oh, I think that person did it. No, I think. <laughs> but she was very open about it. So tell me, tell me about the day that you have the prescription, your mom is sitting there, and you are preparing Well, I it. should actually tell you first when we picked up a prescription, because not all pharmacies will do it. They, you know, just like not all pharmacies will give birth control. Well, it's the same with the end of life. So we found one that would, and the pharmacist came over to answer our questions. And he told us after he answered our questions, says, my, I can't remember if it was his father or his mother, but one of his parents had died recently, and he commended us. And he said, what you're doing is an amazing thing, an amazing gift. And we were all teary-eyed when we left him, my sister and I. I mean, it was, yeah, it was pretty emotional. <laughs> I bet. So then we went back to the apartment, and compassion and choices as I was called they came because they have to there has to be an outsider there with you to um just to make sure it's not observation you know I know that they can't participate but they can kind of talk you through that process yes and it's also just to make sure we're not forcing an honor so we uh mixed up the pentobarbital so it's taking all these capsules and there are about a hundred of them you open them up it's all powder you put it into a cup or you actually open it into a cup, whichever you want to say, add water and mix it up. And then my mom went to her chair that overlooked the city and it was one of her favorite chairs. It leans back. And uh, my sister made her a martini because that's her <laughs> favorite alcohol. And that's one of the things the pharmacist re- recommended is a, uh, your favorite drink to accompany, whatever because that might be. Because it's sort of bitter. With the, sort of bitter, yep. So you want to chase it with a little something. And she chose a martini. She chose a martini. I think I would have really liked your mother. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing she cho- that my uh, sister did was a dark chocolate salted caramel, just slightly warmed up so it's nice and warm and chewy. So my mom had her 
pentobarbital. She drank that. Then she drank her martini. Then she ate her chocolate. And she said, what now? And my sister, one of my sisters said, we just lay back and fall asleep. So she, she was asleep within five minutes and dead within 15. It was very quick, very quiet, very peaceful. I, I was surprised. I mean, uh, you know, it just, I haven't really been there hmm. right at that moment. And it was very peaceful. We were, she was surrounded by love. Uh, she, you know, had this drink and her chocolate caramel. I mean, it was She kind of did it her way. He did it her way, exactly. What a beautiful story that, A, you all the daughters were there. You were honoring your family, your mom's choice. We can only hope that that would be our end of life. So many other people's um, end of life is not like that. So I commend you. And I, I know that it must have been really hard. But your mother was a pioneer in a lot of different ways. How has she affected what you think about your own end of life? Well, I just hope I'm as strong as her and do it early enough um, to be able to make that choice. Because uh, it's likely that I'll have dementia problems, too. It, it seems to run in the family, and so I don't think I'm an exception. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm hoping that the choice will be there when I come to that time in my life. Well, you and I both live in North Carolina. Do you think you're going to have to move back to Oregon? Or are you hopeful that possibly other states will adopt this medical aid and die in as, as we move forward? Well, it's a little of both. I hope that North Carolina adopts that practice, allows that to happen. But I also plan on moving back to the Northwest. Oh, you do? Mm, at some time. Down the road. Well, I cannot thank you enough for joining us um, in the studio today. Um, what an amazing story. Now you're your mother even is is affecting how I'm thinking about my own end of life and how and I question myself just like you am I going to be strong enough to make these decisions come to fruition but what an amazing woman she was and um, thank you for sharing her story you're welcome thanks for joining us today and remember you're the designer <laughs>